Hi everyone, welcome to After Dark Analysis. Today I'm going to be looking at subliminal messages in horror films. The story of subliminal messaging in pop culture really begins in September of 1957. A marketer by the name of James Vicray announced that he had repeatedly flashed slogans like drink Coca-Cola, eat popcorn throughout a movie. Too fast for people to really perceive, consciously at least, but their subconscious supposedly could read and understand it. As a result, he claimed the sales of popcorn had risen 18.1% and that Coke had risen 57.7%. And with those oddball percentages, you know they weren't made up at all. He referred to this practice as subliminal advertising and the panic and widespread fear was born. The problem with all of this is still to this day, most people believe subliminal advertising is a thing, even though it was disproven. The manager at the cinema involved in this study even said in Motion Picture Daily that the experiment had no impact on a sales whatsoever. In 1962, McVray himself finally confessed he hadn't done enough research to go to the public with the announcement he made and he regretted the whole thing ever happened. This whole, we can really just at this point call it a hoax and misinformation from 1957 is still in 2017 playing on our fears today. Which is fair, people do not like to be lied to, people do not like to be manipulated. As a species, we like to believe we're above that. We don't like to believe people are lying to us or leading us in one direction or the other and putting things in that'll make us act in a way that we don't necessarily wanna act in. To further add to this, in 2006, a team of experimental social psychologists found subliminal advertising was only effective with products that people knew about and already somewhat like. Their theory was that the flashes made the brand more cognitively accessible, so it wouldn't work with a high-profile brand like Coca-Cola, because you can't really make people more familiar with that brand than it already is. Coca-Cola, McDonald's, things like that are already so inundated into culture and they're so saturated, people are already as familiar as they're gonna be. That's why Coca-Cola and McDonald's already spend so much money on marketing to keep themselves as saturated as they possibly can be. And also just from a marketing standpoint, they wanna be that saturated and they're that ferocious with their advertising, also to keep themselves from falling into fair use like Band-Aid or Kleenex did. That's why you hear about so many lawsuits coming out of them from people using their brand name because you don't want people using them so casually like when people say they want a tissue they say I want a Kleenex when they say they want an adhesive strip to cover a wound they say I want a band-aid those are actually brand names not the actual product that you're asking for when brands get so accessible they fall into fair use and you can't trademark them anymore and that's problematic so there's this big fine line between getting so into people's subconscious that they end up asking for that the brand name instead of the actual product that they want if you say i want chicken nuggets instead of chicken McNuggets, that's where the problem lies. But anyway, that's an aside and not quite here nor there. It's just this fine line of how saturated can you get before you fall into, you can't trademark things anymore. In addition to this 2006 experiment, the BBC redid it. They flashed Lipton to a test group, but obviously not to another control group. Now in the test group, a few more people did pick Lipton over water, but as they stated, their 
their findings were not statistically significant, which is important. While yes, a few more people might have picked Lipton, but if the findings weren't statistically significant, it means not enough people did. That could have happened organically. You could have just had a few more people in the one group over the other group that just like Lipton. It just happens sometimes. And the article going over that experiment will be linked in the description if you want to read for yourself. Now, by this point, I'm sure you're asking yourself, how in the world does this relate to horror? Why am I spending so much time talking about something that A, a lot of people held to be true? I'm not a debunking channel. My whole point isn't to sit here and prove things true or not true. Well, this idea of subliminal messaging as I've already stated, plays on our fears. But it's also been used through horror movies multiple times, either as a nod or an homage to this idea, or as this way of trying to intensify our fear because the filmmaker bought into this whole subliminal messaging thing did somehow make things supposedly scarier. A few examples of this are the film Cloverfield, put in stills from King Kong, Beast from 2000 Fathoms, and Them. And again, it's still unclear if this was an homage or an attempt to scare people with images from classic monster movies. The film The Ring had stills from the movie The Ring. I know that's confusing because it had the whole film within a film thing going for it. But what the filmmakers did was they took stills from the short film that they were watching within the movie and spliced them all throughout the film. The most notable example of this is when you see the DreamWorks logo turn into the ring itself. That one, I believe, was held slightly longer than the others just so you could see it a little more. But they did splice the images all throughout. The big one that did this, though, was The Exorcist. Images of Pazuzu or Captain Howdy were cut all throughout the film. And at the time, the thinking was it was supposed to make the film scarier. It was supposed to give you this sense of dread of the fact that Vizuzu was there all the time lurking. There is one shot I remember when I saw the re-release in theaters. I don't know if this was true on the original cut because I'm too young to have seen the original cut in theaters, but it did hold, I think, a couple frames longer than the other ones. And I remember the flash and being able to perceive that but there were several not perceivable cuts in throughout the film that if you hold and scan, you can find. And the last and debatably first film that did this was Psycho. Norman Bates, in the last shot of his face, they superimpose his mummified skull over his face when they're looking dead at him. The thing about this is A, it was kind of subtle, and B, not all the prints had it. So some viewers saw it and some viewers didn't. So at the time, since home video hadn't happened yet, you couldn't be sure, so you had to go see it again, which A, nice money grab on Hitchcock's part because you had to go pay and see the movie again. B, if you so happened to go to a theater that didn't have the print, it became this big debate over, did you see it, did you not? What is reality? What isn't reality? Did that cut exist? Did that not exist? So that was a very interesting debate and a very interesting, was Norman's reality really the reality that was there? Or was what everybody else was seeing what was there? 
So it was this nice little play and this nice little bit of creep and shock to a film that already at the time period was very shocking and innovative. So while this idea of subliminal advertising has been blown apart so many times, horror just keeps playing on it and going, well, we're going to intersplice these things. Even if it doesn't make it scarier, we're going to play on this notion and give this slick little nod to it of even if it doesn't make our movie scarier, we're going to put these things in and just in case it works, well, what do we have to lose? Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please hit like, comment, subscribe. Thank you.